This is FM 100.5, 101.9, AM 1450, and WGNSRadio.com. Rutherford County's Place to Talk. Stand by, Rutherford County. The WGNS Action Line continues a search for truth. Right now that time, 818, you're tuned in to WGNS. On this Monday morning, Dr. Tony Johnston with us this morning, Ag Professor and Director of the MTSU Fermentation Science Program. How are you this morning? I'm great. Thank you very much. How well, about yourself? I'm good. Fermentation is something that, uh, you know, we've heard a lot of talk about lately, and I guess, well, one reason, because of MTSU. But fermentation plays a role in so much, doesn't it? Absolutely. As I like to try to explain to folks, fermentation is is fundamentally how we live. We, we depend on fermentation, for example, for things as basic as treating our wastewater, as well as making all the things that we enjoy to eating, such as cheeses, fermented meats like pastrami, salami, pepperoni. Uh, bread is fermented unless it's, it's not fermented, which would be pita bread. So every risen bread, cake is risen, it's, it's fermented. The uh, cheeses, meats, certain certain um, uh, medications are, are produced by fermentation, such as uh, insulin today. Uh, we, we depend on fermentation for life. You know, it's kind of wild when you think about it because it does... I mean, it involves so much, you know. And and what I think is is interesting is that we we as a culture used to ferment at home all the time. Everyone had a crock at home in their kitchen. They would you would ferment your vegetables, you would make pickles, you you would um, ferment everything that came out of the garden to before you canned it. And we've we've gotten away from the farm fundamentally as a society and now we depend on industries to produce these fermented products that we live we we depend on so that that's how we we got to this point we need we need trained people to continue to make those products for us that we no longer make at home you know and it's interesting because you brought up even some medications you know made through a fermentation process i guess penicillin was it Dr. Louis Pasteur who accidentally came up with it in the beginning? That that's exactly correct. Uh, for, uh, medications are, are extremely important, and and penicillin is one of the first uh, antibiotics that we discovered that that is produced by a mold. That we still use the same mold to produce the penicillin that we use today. Isn't it wild? Because usually when you hear people talk about mold, it's oh no, there's black mold in my house. <laughs> Absolutely, it has such a bad name anymore. <laughs> it is it is entertaining, um, but there there are molds that we depend on for for a good example blue cheese um we call it roquefort for a specific place of origin but but blue cheese it's it's cultured by mold and if we didn't have that mold we wouldn't have that blue cheese that's right but you know of course these are things you know medications foods that are produced in a very healthy way in a safe way so that it's not just you know you're not just eating mold mold that's no, unhealthy no and and we we don't want to portray it that way that we're advocating going out and grabbing you know any sort of growth out of the forest and eat it that that's a dangerous thing to do um but we we do depend on microorganisms and and, and i'll add one more avenue that has become really popular like you were saying uh, the probiotics uh, this whole concept of of probiotics and the interaction between uh, our brains and our gut you know the, the gut brain connection um, I, we depend on these microorganisms to help us digest our food 
making ourselves healthier by changing those those cultures that are in our intestinal tracts is is a good thing and we need to understand that more so that's that's another aspect of, of fermentation that that we don't think too much about that there's actually fermentation going on in our bellies shall we say Dr. Tony Johnston with us from MTSU. So what types of partnerships has, have MTSU been able to form over the years right here in our own community that deal with fermentation? So we, we are constantly looking for, for companies to partner with because this is our, our best mechanism for getting our students placed in, in positions, uh, especially in the community as well as in the greater uh, region. Most recently, we established a, a relationship with with Terrapin Beer Company, which is in Athens, Georgia. Um, Terrapin is a subsidiary of Molson Coors Beverage Company. Um, Terrapin, uh, Terrapin's objective was to expand the the expand the 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 brewer network if you will uh, what has happened in in a lot of the craft industries is most people learn their craft and then new people come in and basically do an apprenticeship and and what that what that limits you to is who who you know or who may wander into your place to learn from you and and terrapin realized that that they need to expand the the um, diversity of the brewing force and they they have recognized that if they're really going to be intentional about expanding the diversity of the brewing force they need to start supporting students who are coming through an educational process to come into the brewery to be effective immediately rather than to have that startup shall we say apprenticeship period of time so there they have established a scholarship for uh, um, an underrepresented student at, at our program and Molson Coors ponied up uh, actually $25,000 to establish a foundation account to further support the student and the program as they go through this program. And of course, there is a lot of money to be made in the field after you get your degree in fermentation sciences because there are opportunity after opportunity out there. It, it's just amazing. It's really not very difficult for me to to explain to a potential student the, the, the employment opportunities. They're, they're not only here in Middle Tennessee or the state of Tennessee or even the United States, they're worldwide. Uh, a student can go anywhere because every single country, every single culture in the world utilizes fermentation. We, we um, people don't re recognize the fact that here in the United States, about 60% of what we consume is fermented. In, in other cultures around the world, some of them up to 90% 90, 90 of what they consume is fermented. So you can see how important fermentation really is, and we just don't recognize it anymore because we're we're not doing it at home anymore you know and, and you brought up the craft beers out there and that is an interesting segment definitely to look into because you have a lot of craft brewing companies that have really come about over the last few years and now you have these major companies like Coors coming in and buying some of these smaller craft companies that that phenomena is definitely occurring at this point with the the shall we say the big companies buying the small companies but the uh, the, the whole craft phenomena is is really the, the uh, in, at least in my opinion the bigger issue craft cheese craft distilled spirits craft beer pretty much anything craft if and, and i don't mean to to minimize that term but but it captures this idea that 
I'm not one of the corporate, shall we say, big guys doing this uh, whatever product. It's it's the whole picture of of we can do something different, and that craft desire is what's really renewed our interest in exploring these new flavors and textures and aromas that we can get from from making a product that's that's a little bit different from the the mainstream product. And, and it's driven that craft beer industry and the craft distilling industry and the craft cheese industry. Tell us about this new fermentation degree and what does it entail? So we, we've been in existence now for five years. The, the fermentation degree is, is a, a, a science-heavy degree. The students take about, well, they take 16 hours of, of chemistry and 16 hours of biology on, before they really take the fermentation courses. So, so our students are very well-versed in the, in the science of fermentation, which, which, is, um, which is valuable from the fermentation standpoint, but equally important is we, we have a required business core in the program because everyone, I want every, all my students to understand that, that, that they are going to sell this product to a consumer. There is a business component of anything that you make in with fermentation, and they need to understand the business aspects as well as the technical aspects of, of the use of the fermentation degree. And then I was reading, you've got a junior there at MTSU who kind of, I don't know, highlighted the program in a big way recently, and he happens to be from Tennessee, Calvin Hood, from Greenville, Tennessee, and he is, what, the inaugural recipient of the 10th and Blake Brewing Education Scholarship, uh, which is what I guess you were talking a little bit about earlier. Exactly. So Calvin is the first winner of the scholarship. The, the 10th and Blake uh, name is from Molson Coors. Um, but I, I'm really happy to say that this whole idea of a scholarship was, was Terrapin's idea. Uh, Terrapin then turned to Molson Coors, their their owner company, and said, you know, this is what we're doing. We think this is a good idea. And Molson Coors said, as a matter of fact, we agree with you. We're going to expand this program and, and actually set up a whole division to do nothing but promoting the education of, of students to come into our our fold because they they know they need to fill that pipeline to keep themselves uh, with with trained employees um, so so Calvin is the first recipient actually he's he is the first of of the whole company's um, awardees Molson Coors has established a similar relationship between certain of their subsidiary companies uh, breweries etc with other universities but MTSU was the first and everybody else is waiting in line behind us to um, to have their awards awardees announced. And this student grew up on a 26-acre vineyard, and it's interesting because the vineyards in Tennessee. But I remember not too long ago hearing the word vineyard in Tennessee was kind of scarce. You didn't hear about vineyards in Tennessee a whole lot, but now you do. And that is that is true. the The modern, shall we say, the modern wine industry in Tennessee is is on the order of about 40 years old now. And there were, there were, prior to Prohibition, quite a few vineyards in Tennessee as well as the rest of the country. But post-Prohibition, 
there were no vineyards, there was no industry in, in Tennessee in particular until about 40 years ago. Um, the, the industry has grown significantly over the years. There are somewhere between 55 and 60 wineries, as I recall now here in Tennessee. Um, they are, they are uh, purchasing the products, the, the grapes that are being grown in Tennessee, and uh, it's become a, a rather, you know, a growing business. Um, this is another potential source for for our students to to go work in. Uh, I know that some I know that Calvin, for example, works currently part time at a at a winery. Uh, he works at Beans Creek down in Manchester, and uh, it's an important industry for us. Dr. Tony Johnson on the air with us this morning from MTSU. You know wineries. And, and wine tours were a big thing in places like Italy and California, and they even have some vineyards and wineries in Israel. But Tennessee, again, it just it sounds weird to say, but now it is much more common. It's it's definitely become more more mainstream. Uh, I don't know that people recognize that that believe it or not, there are wineries in all fifty states now. The, the the business of, of wine tourism is is actually enormous like you you were saying California obviously is is a, you know the first place people probably think of here in the United States just because it's the uh, like I like to say the 900 pound gorilla on the west coast um, but the, the the importance of wine tourism is it cannot be minimized in any state it, it, it is very important there there are people who who base their travel just on where they can stop and and go talk to people at these wineries and, and t- sample their products and bring some home to say hey this is what is being made in state x yeah hey, again dr tony johnston with us and we're already out of time but as we close this segment where can people learn more information about this so please go to mtsu.edu forward slash fermentation that is our web page uh they are welcome to you're welcome to call me my my uh, you may email me my email address is tony jot johnston at mtsu.edu my office number is 615-898-2421 sounds good thank you for joining us this morning thank you very much time right now 831 we do have more news and information coming up next about mtsu Hi, this is Amanda at Animal City. Come see us at 919 Northwest Broad Street here in Murfreesboro. We are longtime pet lovers and pet keepers. Come see us and let our 30 years worth of experience be helpful for you. We also carry a variety of hard to find products for your specialty pets. So if you need a pouch for your sugar glider or food for your hedgehog, see us at Animal City. Let our 30 years worth of experience be helpful for you. Animal City, 919 Northwest Broad Street in Murfreesboro. Hi, this is Peter Demas with Demas's Restaurants. One of the new menu items that we have added is our Salmon Imperial. Our Salmon Imperial is a fresh cut piece of salmon with shrimp and a crab meat blend. And then we've put our Alfredo sauce on top of it. It's great for a low carb diet that you can get with spinach, but also it just has an amazing flavor with a mixture of all those flavors between the shrimp Alfredo and then our salmon. 
Please have your family join our family for lunch or dinner seven days a week at Demas's. Listen live to WGNS Radio on our website and Alexa or Google devices. Search WGNS Radio for on-demand podcasts in iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, and Stitcher. Plus, we have direct links to podcasts at WGNSRadio.com. This is Kim Dunaway from Sunshine Nutrition Center. You hear me on Monday mornings at 720 talking about how to lead a healthier lifestyle. We carry supplements, personal care, and grocery items at both our Murfreesboro and Smyrna locations, family-owned and operated since 1989. Family Staffing Solutions is proud of our local veterans. I'm Becky Bookner, and as life challenges appear, talk with Family Staffing Solutions about how we can help you stay at home. Call Family Staffing Solutions. Family Staffing Solutions. Right now that time, 8.33, you're tuned in to WGNS again on this Monday morning, today the 17th of May. And on this segment, we have Dr. Ben Jansen on air with us, Assistant Professor of Finance in the Jones College of Business at MTSU. So how are you this morning? Hey, good morning. I'm doing well. Thank you for having me. You recently had a, a paper, I guess, released that you put together, and mm-hmm. it was a lot of research that, I guess, highlighted stocks mm-hmm. and maybe a return on the investment, and what else? Yeah, yeah. so my paper was looking at um, the association between a company's capacity to generate cash flow growth uh, and the resulting performance of portfolios that would invest in companies generating that cash flow. So when you look at different stocks these days of companies, say, for example, Netflix, which mm-hmm. is around $500 a share, then mm-hmm. you have Amazon, which is, what, close to 2000 a share, maybe a little over now. It's wild to see how much these stocks are going for, mm. but then if you break it down, how does it make sense? I mean, what, what does it involve? Sure, so the value of anything is the expected value it's supposed to be generating, the expected cash flow growth. So when you see companies that get really high valuations relative to uh, the cash flows they're currently generating, it's basically a suggestion that uh, investors think that this company's future cash flow performance is far out in the future. In other words, it's a growth company. It's expected to grow into the value it's currently being priced at. So on your paper that you did, mm-hmm. what what did you highlight and, and how did you, I, I guess, put it in terms that everyone could understand that would help them with investing? Yeah, so um, my paper focused on companies' cash flow growth. So uh, it's a little bit of a a more complicated measure relative to net income, which is what people are used to talking about when they're looking at profitability, they're talking about net income. But uh, a lot of research has found that cash flow growth is a much better metric of a company's capacity to generate value. So uh, what my study then looks at is how do companies that are generating high cash flow perform relative to companies that don't generate much cash flow? Uh, and I find that uh, over the sample period, um, companies that don't generate much cash flow, they don't outperform inflation. So in other words, over the long run, they're really not worth holding on to. Uh, whereas companies that generated high cash flow growth significantly outperformed the market overall, and by the end of the sample period had grown roughly 50% more in nominal value than the overall market. And what kind of companies were you looking at that did perform, you know, in an exceptional way? Were mm-hmm. they the dot coms out there? Were they the companies that are highly electronic? What were they? So I didn't specifically dig that out. What I was looking at is the market overall. Basically, any company 
that's publicly listed that had information available for me to analyze was included in the sample. So I wasn't going through and looking for uh, you know, what sort of industry is driving this. And basically I find these results hold across all different industries. So the dot-com bubble was included in the sample and it doesn't seem to have changed results in any meaningful way. And then I was reading some of the highlights here. It mm -hmm. says you found that $1 invested in a cash flow growth-based portfolio grew to $15.30 over mm -hmm. the sample period, while $1 invested in the stock market grew to $9.85. Mm -hmm. So what what is all that? I mean, break it down for us. What does that mean? Yeah, so in, in this research, I think it's really important to basically form these portfolios in ways that people can actually invest themselves. So what I did was I backtracked throughout the whole sample and looked at uh, forming these hypothetical portfolios every year and basically just sorting companies, which companies generated a lot of cash flow, which companies did not. And then I would just look at the returns for these companies generating high cash flows and say, okay, so that's what the portfolio would have earned over this year, right? So on average, the high cash flow companies outperform several percentage points, which really compounds and adds up over long times. Again, Dr. Ben Jansen with us, and he is the assistant professor of finance in the Jones College of Business at MTSU. So if somebody out there is looking to invest do they need to look for the companies that do have the higher earnings? I, I mean, obviously that would make sense to some degree, but do they specifically need to look for the companies out there who they can see, well, their stock's worth you know $100 a share, and last week it was $50 a share. I mean, mm -hmm. what, what are they looking at? Well, so I think the best long-run advice for most people, and it's advice I follow, is just to passively invest your money into a low-cost exchange ETF, which just mirrors the broad stock market. Um, so most of the money I invest just goes towards those sort of passive investments. If someone's in a place where they're capable of putting some discretionary savings aside and they want those savings to really grow and compound significantly, uh, then yeah, this research is something that could be highly valuable to them uh, in figuring out what companies they should be investing their money into. You know, I think that whole term of being a day trader really grew maybe late 90s, early mm -hmm. 2000s. And yeah. nowadays, there's different apps available that are, mm -hmm. I mean, there's a ton available where people can just invest in whichever stock they choose. Mm -hmm. But I don't think people really go into investing, understanding what they're actually doing. Uh, yeah, so there's actually uh, some evidence um, that retail day traders tend to underperform the market after they include trading costs um, and trying to time the market. People are pretty terrible at that. Um, you know, I'm relatively educated in the field, and I am terrible at timing. Anytime I invest money, there happens to be a crash within the next month. So, you know, people just on average aren't all that great at timing. Is there a real science to it? Or is there also a big, you know, guessing game to the whole investing, uh, investing in general? Is there a guessing game to it? Or is it a science? Uh, I think it's a little bit of both. Over the long run, I think it's more of a science. If you're just passively, solely investing your money over the long run, it tends to compound and grow at pretty consistent rates. Although year to year, it's going to be extremely volatile. So that's where I think more of the guessing game can come in. When you're looking week to week, month to month over short time frames, uh, there is a lot of volatility in the market. And when people focus on that, they might miss basically, what's what's the phrase? They'll miss the, the forest for the tree. Um, so what would you tell somebody who, who says to you, you know, I just downloaded this app, I'm going to mm -hmm. start investing in my future? That's great. That's awesome. <laughs> I, I think it's really important for everyone to try to save and invest in their future. Um, you know, the earlier you can get started investing, the better off you'll be. Uh, generally speaking, right, focus on just low cost ETF investing. If 
the only reason you want to put any money in is to try to get these risky trades, then that might be better than nothing. Um, but try to understand there's a good possibility that you know, investments are going to lose value in the short run. So be mindful that there are risks in the market. Hey, a number of years ago, you had service merchandise, for example, which their stock fell to literally pennies and people were investing $5,000, $10,000 on service merchandise stock. I guess just wishing and hoping that it's going to turn around. They're going to make mm -hmm. a lot of money, but it didn't happen. Mm -hmm. How often do things like that occur where a stock is down to pennies and people just come from everywhere to buy it in hopes of it turning around. Uh, so I'm not personally familiar with um, any sort of research that really digs into the probability of a penny stock jumping back. Um, that's a really interesting question though and something that definitely would be worth looking into. It's a scary investment, I'm sure though. <laughs> oh, absolutely. <laughs> where can they read your paper? Where, they, where, where can they see some of this research? Sure, so uh, the paper is forthcoming in the Journal of Financial Research. It's gonna be available open access. Um, so once it's published, it'll be freely available. Um, also, if you go to Google Scholar and just search cash flow growth and my last name, Jansen, J-A-N-S-E-N, uh, the paper will show up there and should have a link to uh, the SSRN paper page. So what do you teach there and, and are you gonna be doing more research mm -hmm. on investing? Um, so teach at MTSU. Mm -hmm. uh, I usually teach intro to corporate finance actually. Uh, occasionally I'll teach an investments course. I will be teaching one this summer. Um, so that's what I'm gonna be teaching in the short run. And yeah, I have a lot of plans to continue extending this research and furthering looking into questions related to a company's capacity to generate value. Sounds good. Again, Dr. Ben Jansen with us, Assistant Professor of Finance in the Jones College of Business at MTSU. Well, thank you for joining us. And in closing, is there anything you would say to anybody out there who is thinking about, I, I guess, trying to dive into the stock market a little sure. bit? Yeah, thank you for having me. And uh, yeah, I would just say, you know, understand the market is risky, but over the long run, markets tend to uh, appreciate depending on how you measure it, somewhere between eight and 12% a year. So if you're investing in the stock market over the long run, usually that's gonna be a great way to generate value. So long run, much safer. Yeah. Sounds good. Right now that time, 842, stay with us. We do have more news and interviews coming up in just a minute. With your WGNS salute to veterans, I'm Scott Walker. In 2019, Andrew Lee, a retired soldier who proposes quilting as a way to reduce PTSD, was at the Stitcher's Playhouse in Smyrna. There, he displayed his quilt that depicts the raising of the flag over Iwo Jima. The quilt that he made had 12,100 squares of material and took about one year to sew together. Andrew Lee served in the U.S. Army for 10 years where he was stationed at Fort Hood, Texas. He completed two deployments to Iraq. There, he suffered a traumatic brain injury. Andrew explained to WGNS why it's so difficult for veterans to return to civilian life, and he told WGNS when you're on duty, you must shut off all emotions, which is your protection mechanism. For him, he said quilting has helped me dramatically. A lot of veterans don't have an outlet in any way, shape, or form, or a hobby or a pastime that's productive that allows them to separate where they've been to where they want to be or where they could be. So sewing forces your mind to be active and it's in a group of other veterans that you can talk amongst and understand that you're all on the same level and we don't like it to share it with other civilians because they don't understand but other veterans do understand so that's why the group concept works well with your salute to veterans highlighting different accomplishments and allowing veterans to tell their story i'm scott walker
Have you experienced the nightmare of water, mold, or fire damage? Call Restoration One for a free estimate. Veteran and locally owned, fast and available 24-7. Restoration One offers preventative maintenance so that you never have to experience a loss like this again. Restoration One, the water damage experts. This is Jeff Graham with Tire World. I want to invite you to visit our new off-road department at our Memorial Boulevard location, featuring lift kits, leveling kits, light bars, as well as wheel and tire packages. Just come by and ask for Gator for all your off-road needs. That's Tire World on Memorial Boulevard. Precision Air knows you want the air inside your home as safe and clean as possible. Clean the air in your home with an affordable UV system. WGNS listeners get $50 off. 615-930-0088. A whole house air purifier. 615-930-0088. You can make a meaningful difference in 2021. KidLink Community Services is currently seeking foster parents in your area. KidLink provides free training and certification. Contact KidLink today at 877-714-1313 or KidLinkServices.com. Old friends, new name, better together. As First National Bank of Murfreesboro transforms into Capstar Bank, our focus is on you. We're entering a new generation of banking in Rutherford County but will always remain a community bank with local people you trust and uniquely exceptional service you deserve. We're at 2230 Mercury Boulevard, capstar.com. Member FDIC, Equal Housing Limited. Right now that time, 8.45, you're tuned in to WGNS again on this Monday morning. And now in studio with us, Dr. Janet Colson, Professor of Nutrition and Food Science, and also Jamie Brown with... Riverdale High School. Uh, Jamie, you're a teacher there, right? Yes, sir. Okay. So I guess tell us a little bit about this dual enrollment nutrition course being offered at Riverdale. And uh, Janet, I guess this is being done under the guidance of MTSU. How is this working? Okay. We actually have two dual nutrition options. We have the traditional dual enrollment class in which students are enrolled at as MTSU students and as high school students. They take their junior level nutrition class and uh, Jamie Brown is their teacher. But our side of it is online. So the students are actually in, enrolled in our online nutrition class, but they're in Jamie's at the same time. So she kind of helps them with it. Students typically take that in their junior high school year. Then if we drop back to the sophomore year, nutrition is really big at the high school level now. And Jamie is an awesome teacher. But in the sophomore year, students take another nutrition class. So there's actually two nutrition classes that they can take. But the dual credit classes where they spend the entire year with Jamie taking her class and then at the end of the year they take our uh, dual uh, credit exam. We have two lower level nutrition classes. One of them is a 1,000 level class that coincides with her sophomore class and then uh, uh, 2,000 that coincides with her her junior level class. So once they graduate high school, they've already got some college courses and credits behind. Six hours. Okay. Two, two classes. And this is good for someone who is going into what field of study in college? What, what are you seeing most of the students go into? We would love for them to, to come into uh, the nutrition program. In fact, we have one of Jamie's students who went through her class that she went two years to Motlow and now we're getting her in the fall. So we're so excited about her. And, and what, what do they do with a degree in nutrition? 
Well, uh, of course, they could become a, a registered dietitian, and that's kind of like the gold standard. Then we have two other options within the nutrition and food science area. We have some that are really interested in the food industry. We have a student who just graduated, and she's going to be working for Tennessee Cheesecake Factory. Oh, wow. Starting just in a few weeks. And then others go into more of a wellness area, nutrition and wellness. So they could literally go into the medical field. They could go mm -hmm. into, you know, the food industry. I mean, there's a lot of different avenues, I guess. That's true. A lot of grocery stores now are hiring uh, people to work with the consumer, with the extension office. You know, in Tennessee, every county, in fact, I think every uh, county in the nation has an extension office. So they like to have a uh, nutrition and wellness type person to work with the public. And uh, I guess... What are you seeing at Riverdale High School? What are you seeing in the students as far as how are they equipped to handle college courses? Because, you know, when I was in high school, I, I couldn't, you know, fathom me or any of my classmates going through college courses in high school. But this is common now. Yes, it's something that we're trying to incorporate more in the high schools. Um, it's coming down from the State Department, and um, we're trying to have more certified pathways. And for a pathway to be certified, um, we are we have to have an elective focus. So in eighth grade, they're going to choose the pathway that they would like to pursue in high school. And the elective focus is, um, in my pathway, the dietetics and nutrition. And then they have to have a work-based learning option, and that's usually in the senior year. Uh, EPSO, so early post-secondary opportunities, and that's where MTSU comes in with the dual credit and the dual enrollment nutrition classes. And then the students also have an opportunity to take an industry certification exam, and that's sponsored by the Tennessee Department of Education also. So if they pass that exam, they get um, an industry certification in dietetics and nutrition, and they also get uh, three more college credits, and they bank those at the Department of Education. So if a student took all three of our nutrition classes and then went over to MTSU, they could um, transfer those three credits from the State Department, and they would start out with nine um, college credits and an industry certification. So if they're picking this line of study back when they're in eighth grade or so, are they sticking with it all the way up to graduation or are they changing their mind a lot? Because, you know, it's hard to make a decision when you're in eighth grade on what you want to do, what direction you want to head in the future. Exactly. They, uh, they do have tests that they give the students so that it kind of helps them with um, things that they're interested in and kind of guide them into a particular area. And once they get into that area their freshman year, they have an opportunity to swap something out for junior year and they can still complete a pathway. They have to have three courses in a particular pathway to graduate. So there is a little bit of room um, for them to change their mind. And then whenever we get into um, taking other electives, students in the sophomore, junior, and especially senior year have a little bit of wiggle room. So if they want to complete two pathways while they're in high school, then they can do that, and a lot of students do. Uh, so Dr. Colson, how are you I guess when these students come to you after they graduate high school, how are you pointing them in the right direction? Because are they coming to you saying, you know, I want to continue this path and this is what I want to do, or 
I want something totally different. Well, one thing about a nutrition class, and this is just my personal opinion, but I grew up back in the dark ages when we had home economics. And in home economics, we learned how to cook. We learned how to plan meals. And even if they do decide to go into business or they decide to go into agriculture, they still have that foundation. I'm teaching right now the 1240, the Principles of Nutrition class, and I have several students who are going to nursing school or I have one who wants to be a, a, a you know, an x-ray technician. And uh, for those students, they have to have this nutrition, this introductory nutrition class to get into those programs. So even if they don't come and stay in nutrition and become a dietitian or go into the food industry, they still have that foundation. And so many allied health uh, degrees require that. Also at MTSU Health, requires the introductory nutrition. Another thing, I have two adult children, and I remember distinctly having, they needed three more college credits to be able to graduate. And this summer in my class, I have a lot of students who are, I just need three more credits, or I just need six more credits. So even if they, students don't go into uh, nutrition or dietetics, they're still gonna have this background. And by them finishing it at the high school level, it's gonna save mom and dad $1,000. Wow. to pay for that class once you know they're a sen senior and need to graduate so again it's nutrition that is so important hey and jamie if you would pull that mic a little closer but at the high school level what is the equivalent of home ec right now in school or is there something that is equivalent well, that is where we come in. So um, home economics was where it started out, and then it went over to family and consumer sciences. And so that's what my degree is actually in. So when I first started teaching with Rutherford County Schools, we still taught some of those um, sewing classes and just basic kind of how to sew on a button and um, repair a shirt or something like that. Um, and then we also taught a lot of the um, the cooking techniques and, and measuring and all that kind of stuff. So whenever they revised the, the standards and created the pathways, they took um, home economics, family consumer science, and they evolved it again. And that is where the dietetics and nutrition pathway comes in and the social health services pathway. So um, social health services pathway is our sister pathway and um, students can go and they can be uh, social workers or um, something in mental health and then there's um, there's ours and so there's a whole lot of overlap with the same freshman course and then the same senior level course and so that's where home economics is today we are dietetics and nutrition and social health services so we've evolved to suit the needs of um, what what's needed in our area and with the mental health um, going up, mental health problems rising, and obesity on the rise. We've got um, adult obesity in the United States at 42%, and childhood obesity ages 2 to 19 at 19%. And so that's 14 million children and teenagers who are obese. And so that's with a percentile of 95% uh, percent and up. It's pretty wild that the numbers are that high. Uh, and I'm sure, you know, that's nationwide, you were saying, and also here in Tennessee, those numbers are extremely high. So, Dr. Colson, if you look back over the years, 
and you see those who graduated high school, they come to college. Are they coming to college with the same set of tools they have or they had back then? You know, are students able to properly measure things out uh, when cooking? Because that is something you don't, they, they don't teach the same way in schools. Back in when I was in high school, many, 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 many years ago, but we graduated, and when I graduated from high school, there were no, none of my classmates were obese. Today, when a class graduates from high school, probably 20% of those kids are obese, so it's really uh, very uh, sad. But again, what we want to do is we want to kind of go back to the, to the past and bring the importance of what to eat, how to, to cook, how to select food. We want to bring it back to the high schools and we want to bring it back to the colleges. Do, do you think part of the problem is that students are not learning something as simple as learning how to measure a tablespoon of sugar yeah. when making something? Well, that's true. The, the uh, Today's parents of high school students and children, they did not learn it. So we have a generation of parents who don't know how to plan meals properly and how to feed children. You know, there's so much reliance on fast food. So again, we want the next generation of parents, the ones that are graduating from high school now, we want them to be different, or the ones that are gonna be coming into high school. So we wanna make a change. And these types of programs will obviously help lead that change for sure. Uh, and it will also put different students in the right path to a, a career that could help others as well in nutrition. So these are all positive things. And you were saying after they take this program in the high school, at the high school level, they're also, if they take it at the college level as well, they're coming out with six credit hours mm -hmm. at the college level when they graduate high school. That's true. That's true. And this is just in nutrition, dual enrollment. Now, uh, at MTSU, a student can uh, if they want to do dual enrollment, they can actually get 12 credits of dual enrollment classes at MTSU for free. Now, is and that over the entire high school? It, dual enrollment is just for juniors and seniors, and they have to, you know, have a certain ACT test, et cetera. But the class that we're offering now, the uh, dual credit, they can take that as a sophomore. So that's kind of different. But again, uh, other dual enrollment, a lot of students opt to be taking English or history, you know, the gen ed types of, of courses that are going to be required no matter what the major is. We only have about 30 to 45 seconds left in time. So as we close this morning, what can people do to learn more about this if they want to, you know, make sure their child is or participates in a dual enrollment program for a university while in high school? In Rutherford County, all high schools uh, participate in dual enrollment, and they can either call the MTSU dual enrollment office or they can go to the high school counselor. At Riverdale and Oakland, those are the only two high schools in the county that do the nutrition pathway. So you got to go to Riverdale or to Oakland if you want to do nutrition. So learn more about it by talking to the school counselor. That would yes. be the best mm -hmm. place to go. Definitely. Well, thank you for joining us this morning. Again, with us from MTSU, Dr. Janet Colson, and also from Riverdale High School, and you graduated from MTSU as well, right? Yes. Uh, we have Jamie Brown. But thank you both for joining us this morning, and uh, we're going to post this podcast on our website in just a little while at WGNSRadio.com. Mm -hmm.